I am Chris Klein, Director of Butterfly Ridge Conservation Center in Southeast Ohio, and this is Ridge Notes. This is Chris Klein of Butterfly Ridge Butterfly Conservation Center in the beautiful Hocking Hills of Southeast Ohio. Welcome to our next episode of Ridge Notes. Recently, via Zoom, I interviewed Marcus Gray of Sustainable Monarch, and so I hope you will enjoy part one of our conversation of the work that he is doing with Sustainable Monarch, uh, securing monarch habitat, encouraging folks to, uh, to plant habitat, and uh, so I hope you'll enjoy this first part of that interview. So, Marcus... Gray, welcome to Ridge Notes. Um, let's see, I um, actually, I guess I first started following you when you were with um, Monarchs in the Rough, doing the, the golf course thing. And I guess, actually, my first question for you actually um, goes back to that, because I have very limited experience with golf courses. I, I am not a golfer. Um, my grandfather-in-law would take me golfing because um, we usually came back with more balls than we went with because I'd hit mine out in the cornfield and we usually found four or five others right. when we were out there trying to find mine. <laughs> but I guess I was curious how because my impression of, of golf courses and such, I mean, they, they like things very pristine looking, very manicured looking. How are you able to talk them into, um, you know, emphasizing planting milkweed in association with their golf courses? I would, I would have thought they would have rebelled at that. Well, thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. And, and the question is, one that I, you know, I like to answer because it's, yeah, it's counterintuitive to a lot of people to think about golf courses as a space where native plantings can be. But increasingly, um, golf courses are the last remaining open space in a lot of communities. So you've got a lot of development. You, you can go look on satellite imagery and just look at, at different towns that you might be familiar with. And you can see all the suburban and urban commercial development and then the only green space will be a golf course. So yes. there's a lot of pressure on the golf sector to provide all the ecological services that we all rely upon. You know, whether it's clean air, clean water, places to recreate, which golf is recreation, but you can walk and bike and go birding on a golf course. And so the superintendents, the people that manage the course uh, on a daily basis, they understand that. And they understand that they're situated in a community, a larger community that they're a part of. And so they want to have a good relationship with their neighbors. And so they went to school for managing turf grasses, you know, mostly introduced turf grasses, but there are some native uh, grasses that, that get used. But um, by and large, historically, it's been introduced Eurasian grasses. Um, and yeah, they managed for the game, the, the rate of play, like you said, the aesthetic that people are looking for that, you know, they've been trained to look for that close clipped grass, manicured hedges, and that sort of thing. But you have to understand golf courses control, just in the United States, we have half the world's golf courses, like 15,000 golf courses. Well, they control wow. about 2.3 million acres. And 
they don't use nearly all of that for the game. They use about 30 to 50%, depending on the, on the area that you're in. So there's a lot of outlying areas that don't get intensively managed. And so okay. the superintendent spent a lot of time going, how can I save money with staff time, machine wear and tear inputs? You know, where do I, where can I pull irrigation out? Where can I convert the turf, restore the turf area back to native landscaping, whether you're like in the Southwest where you're familiar with Chris, like courses do a lot of xeriscaping with, with native uh, succulents right. and things out that way. Um, and so we've got courses that are taking out like 30 acres at a time of golf of, of intensively managed turf because it's not economical to maintain those and they want to do the right thing. You know, they love the land that they manage just like a farmer does. They take a lot of pride in their management, but they have a different background and different training. So it wasn't so much convincing golf courses to adopt monarchs in the rough for planting native plants. It was getting them familiar and comfortable with plants that are taller than their ankle. Um, and we spent a lot of time learning from each other because yeah, my background as a wildlife biologist, you know, I, I knew very little about turf other than you know, my first job was cutting grass when I was a kid for other, you know, first job <laughs> outside of the family. Um, you know, sure. I got called boy a lot and, you know, got yelled at. So, um, but anyway, <laughs> that's where I started picking up plant material. Like I learned about the plants that were available at, um, nurseries and things like that, you know, good, bad, and the ugly. Um, but I learned, you know, how to put plants together in that way. And so that was sort of my introduction to horticulture, um, aside from the fact that I come from a farming family and being around, you know, what we call today a, a conventional farming. Um, so the superintendents, they were poised to do something. They wanted to help. They had the space, they had the staff, and they had a maintenance budget. So we had this concept, um, of treating golf courses like a network of reserves um, where we didn't have to buy the mm -hmm. land. And they were a sector that was largely mm -hmm. ignored by stewardship, you know, conservation organizations prior. So um, Audubon International has a certification program for the environmental practices. And so they wanted to say, how can we bring more people into the fold, build a relationship with more people. So we, we were giving away, native regionally appropriate seeds for those plantings. So I know it's a, a, a long answer, um, but it's a compl complex question that I spent four years, you know, we, we started out going, <laughs> can we get anybody to do this? You know, will we get a hundred courses to sign up? Well, now we're 755 later going, wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just yeah, you know, really. enthusiastically adopted. And it, was, it wasn't anything other than talking to people and being sincere and, and building a real, real relationship with folks. You know? Sure. Yeah. Well, and I, I see with your explanation how really it, I mean, it kind of turned into a win-win for everybody. I mean, it, yeah. you know, helped save the golf courses, you know, maintenance money and everything. And it, of course it helped the monarchs with what they sure. needed. So, so very, yeah, very interesting. I, I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just to give you an idea, you know, it, it's just like agriculture, the, the industry gets a lot of, um, guff for their practices and you know it might be deserved especially 30 years ago when things you know people have more money and they were intensively managing everything um but now with the cost savings that people are looking for um you know it's, it, they've made great strides in, in recent decades um with their management um and you know to give you an example so we talked about that 2.3 million acres in the united states that is controlled by golf courses and not all that is is um 
for the game, like I said, but there's 40 million acres of residential lawn. So, oh, you know, yeah. like I said, it's, it's easier to point the finger at somebody else than to look internally and say, hey, what do I need this? And just like in your episode, we talk about lawn. Do I need this five acres mowed every three days to look at? You know, maybe not. <laughs> well, and see, and that's, that's a big chunk of what we are doing is trying to convince folks to, you know, not necessarily do away with the lawn, but right. just scale back. I mean, even if it's just 10 or 20% to scale back, even if it's just leaving a, a hundred square foot corner in the backyard where the, yeah. there's the clovers thick, you know, leaving that grow up. I mean, at least that would help Eastern tailed blues. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, it's just trying to get people to kind of rethink how they manage their space. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's what you were doing with the golf courses as well. Get them to rethink how they manage their space. Well, yeah. I mean, these places, a lot of these sites are just being mowed once a year. You know, I can work with that. You know, there's no other inputs, mm -hmm. but just being mowed once a year to keep the trees out. Right. You know, yeah. It's like a no-brainer. Like, let's enhance this. Let's control what invasives might be there mechanically where possible um, and get a good diverse mix in there, like you said, to support as many species as possible, have blooms throughout the season, um, and start moving the needle on aesthetics. You know, it's, it's like right. you could have – a foundation planting at your house with a shrub, you know, native or not, you know, but more likely not is what most people have, you know, say a boxwood and you've got juniper on the ground and then you got mulch, you know, you go to any fast food restaurant. It's like, there's a knockout rose, uh, you know, juniper, maybe a sedge or, you know, some ornamental grass that's not native and mulch or gravel, you know, we could be a lot more right. interesting in our landscape choices. You know? oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, my wife and I, we enjoy going to Applebee's for lunch sometimes. And yep. yeah, when I look at their landscaping, you know, can't, can't we be more creative than this? But, well, yeah. And, yeah. and it really, it, um, it burns me, it burns me when you're like, there's more trash than plants in the parking lot, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's just unfortunate. And so now you're doing uh, the sustainable monarch mm -hmm. uh, project. Tell us a little bit more about that. Right. So that's, it's shifting gears quite a bit. Um, still, the, the idea is maybe novel compared to what other organizations are doing that rely on volunteers. Um, but what with Sustainable Monarch, the whole idea is how can we increase economic incentives to encourage landowners to maintain pollinator habitat? So we all agree if you're listening to the podcast, you more than likely agree that there's ecological value to these plants, um, you know, for supporting butterflies and bees and birds. But, um, you know, how can we stack economic value on top of that? So to make it worth even more, you know, we're, we're essentially relying on mostly people's goodwill to, to maintain pollinator habitat on farms, in urban spaces, community gardens, things like that. But, um, that only get us so far. And, and we've seen that we need significantly more acreage than we're getting through voluntary measures. Mm -hmm. So we need to start incentivizing. We need to pay people to maintain this because even if you want to, if you can't afford to keep it or, you know, then you're just, you're just not going to, it's, it's, we all like to think, you know, I had, I was working on this project in New Jersey 
and the farmer there was leasing a lot of ground um, or was farming it so that the landowners could get the tax incentive. Because like if you if you maintain your farm in agriculture, then you get a, a tax break on on the land. Well, anyway, you know he's farming like ten thousand acres in New Jersey. You know, and um, you know if you look at people say, well, for water quality in this case, is it why don't why doesn't he just like leave a couple rows around the outside of a buffer? And I go, well, because it's not a couple rows. Look at a planter; it's more than two boxes. And I was like, well several rows around 10,000 acres is a lot of bushels, <laughs> you know? So it's like, yeah. they see this guy operating at a million dollars a year, but he's spending 800, 900,000, <laughs> you know? And you go, yeah. it's, his margins aren't, you know, we're all broke at different levels. Like you got to understand where people are coming from and, <laughs> and what their, what their margins are like and what their reality is. Like, we don't know his business, you know, if he has to buy a new combine, you know, there goes his, his margin, you know, for, for a while. So, um, it, there's just a, a getting that communication started and that's what we do a lot with golf courses but anyway with sustainable monarch we're looking at like the commercial value of milkweed in this case and this can be applied to other native plants as well especially when you're talking about some of the products that can be made but we're looking for um entrepreneurs and the it's an arbitrary number but this is our goal we're looking for, and it could be more we're looking for 20 entrepreneurs along the migration route to um, be creating products out of milkweed. So whether it's lotions or salves, you know, cos cosmetics, um, clothing, filler, um, batten for quilting, um, bedding, like uh, filling for pillows, things like that, um, where we can have value added product from native plants. So mm -hmm. the way we're doing that right now, Sustainable Monarch is, is a nonprofit, but we're working with corporate entities um mainly based out of nebraska right now one called ogallala comfort they make bedding um with a milkweed blend product and then um milkweed balm which is which is run out of the same umbrella organ uh, entity but they um you know it's got some some properties that that are beneficial to, to pain and things like that so the whole idea is that sustainable monarch will purchase milkweed pods, mature milkweed pods from a landowner or a community. Ideally we'd have an aggregator. So like say, say Butterfly Ridge wanted to be the aggregator for the Hawken Hills. You can, your entire community can get involved and pick milkweed throughout the entire community when it's ready, bring it there uh, to, to your nature center. And then we'll buy it from you. And we've got a grant from one of the organ, one of the companies to cover shipping. Um, uh -huh. and you, we're, we're paying a dollar a pound right now for mature milkweed pods. Um, and then you can in turn pay people that are picking it. So there's, there's an economic incentive and benefit to the local community, um, rather than volunteer base. So, so people can use their money to, you know, buy new tires for their car or buy a window for the house or groceries, or, you know, you have a, you have a local nonprofit project there, um, in your area, like the school needs a new playground or something, you know, you can, you can donate that money to mm -hmm. a, a local charity. Um, you know, it, it just all depends on the situation, but we've got, there's a community in, in Minnesota that picked 80,000 pounds last year. Um, and we've got one in Michigan that, that does a, a really good job too. And, and some of these folks we're looking at working with indigenous communities too, that um, are used to, you know, already geared to pick things like wild rice. They're already mobilized for harvesting native plants. Mm -hmm. But we're looking to, to work with um, with anyone, you know, and, and, and try to get these businesses going 
because if people are, are having, if they're making money off a native plant, they're going to encourage them to, they're going to protect sites, right. but then they're going to expand plantings over time. Right. So, so let me ask with the, the pods, are you looking for, for the full intact pod seed and everything? Are you, yes. I mean, like, okay. so it, if I pull the seeds out, but send you the, the fluff and the pod shell, is that as helpful or do you need the whole thing? No, well, it, you know, there's things that can be made out of the seed, but you know, we also do restorations in a large scale, but there's like in your situation, let's use you as an example there, Butterfly Ridge. If you wanted to participate, we could send say 10% of the clean seeds back to you to use in your area, for, you know, because they're local okay. seeds for restoration. You know, if you have, you know, your seed collection, company or or a nonprofit that's doing this restoration work and you have the the floss the fluff and um and the the hull of the pod talk to us you know, there's probably a way for us to be able to get that material and get you paid for it um mm -hmm. it's just once you open that pod you know it's like everywhere you know so it's it all depends on how how people handle the material you know if you grab all those mm -hmm. threads the fibers before they get everywhere and are able to contain them <laughs> then it's a lot easier to to deal with but ideally right. it's a whole pod okay okay no because we actually we've gotten pretty good at, at defluffing uh without fluff everywhere yeah you grab so, the deal and rub it up yeah i mean you just barely open the pod just enough to grab a handful of fluff squeeze mm -hmm. the opening tight pull the fluff through it and then we put the fluff in like brown paper bags to keep it right yeah. Contained. Yeah. We can, we can and, talk about that and, and, and figure out a way, you know, offline to, to make that work, make use of that material, you know, to keep it, you know, give, give it a, a use a future life. So that was part one of our interview with Marcus Gray of Sustainable Monarch. And next week we will uh, play the second part of that interview, talking a little bit more about Sustainable Monarch and about the Butterflying World Series. So I hope you'll tune in for that, once again airing uh, next Saturday. And so in the meantime, take good care of those pollinators. Ridge Notes is sponsored by Butterfly Ridge Butterfly Conservation Center in the Hocking Hills of Southeast Ohio. Open every day but Tuesday, April 15th through October 15th.